are listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Welcome to Syntax, the web development podcast with the tastiest treats around. In this episode, we're going to be talking about design tips for developers. We're going to be talking about the little things you can do to up your game on the design side and make things look a little bit nicer on your projects and how to just overall improve your development and design skills as a dev here. Uh, With me, as always, is Wes Boss. Hello, everybody. Good to be in your ears again, I guess. <laughs> yes, good to be in your ears. And I am Scott Talinsky. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Sanity, which is a bring your own front end style headless CMS that is really super cool. And MLab, which is an excellent, excellent, excellent modern way to host your databases. So we're going to be talking a bit more about those two sponsors later on in the episode. So Wes, is, you, is yeah. Sanity a, uh, sorry, I'm doing great. It's, I'm just curious, Is I'm just Googling what a boyf is, a, boyf. a bring your own front end. Yes. That's a pretty funny, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have Sanity on. Actually, just looking at Sanity.io's like landing page, and it's actually a fantastic example of a lot of the little design tips we're going to be talking about today. So if you are sitting in front of a computer, maybe have that one open as we're talking about these these tips today. Yeah, they have a, a pretty cute website here. I'm a fan. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good. Um, uh, I've been working. I just, you know, I've been trying not to work on the weekends and stuff. And then I spent a lot of time. If you saw me on Instagram, I was just like, designing and redesigning things and like last night it was like eight o'clock and i'd already just i'd already redesigned so many things on the site and then i was like you know what i wonder what would happen if i just changed the background color of my site and i changed the background color and it actually everything came out pretty good and then so i ended up doing some more tweaks and i was like you know what I wonder what would happen if I redid some stuff in the nav here. Oh, I hate the nav. Let me just rewrite the whole thing from scratch. So then I rewrote the nav from scratch <laughs> and redesigned it. And it's none of it's live yet. It's all going live very soon. But I, I, I just ended up doing so much unexpected work, but it was all fun work. You know, like. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like creative flow work instead of, you know, I usually like to take my Sundays to, to wind down and do something either like creative or play some video games or something like that. Like I'll work on music or something. And, and this felt like that. It felt like play. Like I was getting to just, you know, just throw things to the wall and see if they stick and try them out. And I think it's a good little side conversation for this, this episode here, but I I thought it was like one of those things that just was really fun. And I think the results are going to show once I push some of these updates up. That's true. I, I always love when you, you go on those little uh, tangents where you're just like, oh, this is fun again. And I'm, I'm really enjoying like like it feels good because we've certainly been there where it's really hard to design something. And it's extremely frustrating to sit there and spin your wheels for hours on end. And at the end of it, nothing looks good. Right. So it's fun to, to have those breakthroughs. I'm just actually looking at your I just inspected element on your purple because I thought you had changed it already. And oh. you have uh, some CSS variables called perp and dark perp. Oh, yeah. I have an extra perp, too. But the extra extra perp. extra perps in the footer that that really dark one. But it's uh, I'm actually sort of phasing extra perp out. But yeah, I, I, oh, rest in peace, extra perp <laughs> up in smoke. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, today we are going to go through all of these little design tips. Scott and I are not the best designers in the world, but and and this is not a show on like how to rock your socks off or a show on how to put the golden aspect ratio over everything or how 12 degrees is the way over everything. (laughs) It's so true. You can overlay it and and you you seem smart. Or if you were to overlay a bunch of uh, angles on top of a logo and, and talk about how those things are. I think what real designers do, and those are, are, are really important things that, that people go to school and study for them. But I think that if you are just a web developer trying to make your stuff look decent, there are a whole handful of tips that if you just take these into account, your stuff is going to look night and day better just by doing it. And uh, uh, I, I think that's what a lot of us reach for, because a lot of people use like bootstrap and then they try to slam their own green into something and 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 change the font and it just looks like not great <laughs> so uh, hopefully these little tips will will help you uh, improve your designs and and make the at the end of the day we just want to make your your web apps a little bit more enjoyable to use 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole thing is that I, I think personally for me, when I, I stopped doing things like, all right, now I have to apply the golden ratio to this. I think that's when I got much better at designing because I was, uh, following other rules and patterns and, and visual things rather than trying to adhere to some sort of, I don't know, arbitrary sort of rules or something like that. But the stuff that we're going to be giving you today is all going to be little things that you can do uh, that will, yeah, it's going to take your stuff and just, I don't know, I will, it's going to add that nice and fit and finish to it. I think that's one of the things that I've learned through a long time of designing things is the last little bit can make such a huge difference. Like I yeah. always stopped too soon and maybe that's why my stuff never looked as good as it could because I just stopped one or two revisions or, uh, you know, little things, tweaks or whatever before I should have stopped. Totally. So uh, we're going to break it down into just general design tips that we have, uh, UX design and animation tips that we have, and then uh, end it off with uh, how to get better. And again, these things are not rules. Take them with a grain of salt. But these are things that have worked really well for Scott and I. And they're things to think about when you're you're doing your own design and, and they may may play into uh, making your own design look better. So first one, I think this is probably the most important tip. It's probably the simplest. We're going to get into some more tips and tricks. But the most important one, I think, is spacing is consistent. Lots of spacing and consistent spacing. So uh, often the trouble with with designs is that things are just too cramped. And you don't, you as a user don't, you don't necessarily feel, you don't necessarily visit a website and go, oh, this is too dense. This is too information dense for me. But uh, when you are using it, it gives you sort of this uneasy feeling, the sort of anxious feeling that you're like, I don't like using this website. And almost always, if you were to select all of the major elements on the page, crank up the padding, if it's text, if you're to crank up the line height uh, and just add a little bit more breathing room between every, I say breathing room, I laugh when I say that because when I did uh, a lot of client design, that's that's what they would use. To, mm. They would be like, can we add a little bit more breathing room besides something? And you'd have to translate. What does breathing room mean into like actual technical term? Was it margin? Was it padding? Is it is it line height? Uh, it is the text too long? Things like that. Yeah. Um, so adding more spacing, much more important, in my opinion. Yeah, it's actually it's, it's funny that you say that. I think like identifying what clients really mean when they give you feedback is one of the most difficult things uh, that because they don't speak the same language, right? Like I have yeah. a, a client, uh, a client say like, this looks a little cloudy. Could it look a little bit more sunny <laughs> to me? Like, and it was like, it was already like very saturated and bright. So I was like, I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> You know? Yeah, that makes a good designer. I think being able to hear what your client is saying and obviously your client's trying to, to help you and to say, I think it needs this, but it's your job to decipher, okay, they're, they're feeling that this is hard to read, right? And it might not be the actual copy that they wrote. It might not be the font that they, they may be saying, let's try a new font. But it might not be the font. It might just be that uh, the lines of your text are much too long. That's a commonly known thing where if your text is is too long, if you have too much width on your your text, then it gets too hard to read and your person is shaking their head left and right to actually read it. And maybe just by uh, making a little less wide, uh, putting in some margin or padding on the left and right of the text, maybe adding a little bit more line height, then you bring it back to them and say, hey, what do you think about this? And it's important to, to try those other things and necessarily just try to implement it. Otherwise, you're you're just a pixel pusher at the end of the day. Yeah. According to this website, baymard.com, I, I don't know what this website is. It's a blog, but they, they cite some usability research saying that the optimal width is 50 to 60 characters per line. And here's another UX stack exchange that also says the optimal width is 50 to 60 characters per line. So based on how large your text is and, and everything like that, this should give you at least a little bit of a, a guideline to figure out what's too wide and what's not wide enough. The next one I have up here is using patterns and texture. And this is more of a, a personal preference. This is more of, I guess you say, my style of, of approaching things is I use lots of patterns and, and lots of texture in my stuff. And I always make sure that they are as subtle as possible. So if you have a, a div and the background is yellow, the way to, to sort of make it better or to make it like look a little bit more polished, that fit and finish, I find is you can go off and find some repeating patterns. So I like to use I use for the longest time. I use this website called Subtle 
Patterns. Yeah, I remember um, that Just thing. pull it up. Subtle Patterns was huge, and they seemed they got bought by TopTal, and it seems like they're still fairly consistently putting out new patterns, but they're they're only putting them out in PNGs still, which yeah is a bit of a pain because SVG is is now the best way to go for many reasons. First of all, if it's SVG, you can quickly easily change the color of that pattern. And also it's going to be much smaller to download a file of that size. And and then third, they, they will scale infinitely. So you could have them any size that you want. Uh, I always have to bring these patterns into Sketch or Photoshop or something and uh, change them up myself before I put them in. And, and with an SVG pattern, it's, it's much easier. So that's a good one. Yeah. Steve, okay, so I met... Steve Schoger at Laracon, oh, which cool. I said last time I said Steve Schoger, and he gave me shit for that. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, what is this podcast if we're not messing up your name? I think no, that's a I think that's, passage. That's well, people are, are now making jokes on on the Syntax FM Twitter that I we all mispronounce everyone's names, which I think is hilarious. So he has this. Uh, he is Steve is awesome. He's We'd be remiss not to mention him in this podcast because he is king of the design tip. So he's sort of taken my like JavaScript hot tip and and done it in design. And it's it's nuts. He's went from like like 2000 followers to like, I think, 35000 followers in just a year. He's working on a book with Adam Wathen called Refactoring UI, which is going to be pretty, pretty cool. Um, and he has uh, the way I found out about him at first was that uh, he has this awesome website called Hero Patterns. Oh, so he was behind uh, Hero Patterns. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, He's behind Hero Patterns, and they're all SVG patterns, which allows you to change the color and the opacity in the background right on the website. So you can mess with them right there, download the SVG, and you can always change them around later in the code. So I'm a huge fan of Hero Patterns. I use them on quite a bit of my own websites. Um, They're all infinitely repeating, so you don't have to worry about making them repeat. Uh, he also has something called Heroicons, which is hero icons. And mm. uh, that's like a that's a, a paid one that you can you can buy a whole bunch of really nice icons. He's behind a lot of the design for all the Laravel stuff as well. So he's he's sort of all over and his stuff is is fantastic. So I highly recommend you check out Hero Patterns if you're looking for some sort of pattern to add to your because that's a whole nother skill as well. Like I, I do not have the skill to create a pattern myself. I can just find them online. There's another really good pattern website if you want to make your own custom patterns. There's this website called flaticon.com and they have this huge database of of different icons and they have this website pattern.flaticon.com which will allow you to just search their icons and just drop them in and make your own pattern. So if you go Mm. to my learnnode.com course and, and view the list of videos, in the background of that is like a little pattern with like a little CSS and a little security guy and a little magnifying glass and a little coffee cup. And I sort of made the you can make your own repeating pattern in this tool. And it's it's awesome. It's very subtle. But I, every now and then I get emails from people asking, hey, how did you make that cool little pattern or, or where did you get that? And this tool is is awesome because you don't have to to worry about actually making your own patterns because it does all of the repeating and slicing and dicing for you. Interesting. Yeah, this is cool. I just I made a pattern out of hamburgers and broccoli and <laughs> lemons just now. It's pretty sweet. I actually this this whole like repeating pattern I initially got from Sentry, which is uh, uh, one of the sponsors of our show. If you go to sentry.io in the background of their their purple, they have like the Sentry logo and like a little cloud and a 404 and like a, a broken phone and, and like all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh, I love oh, that. Yeah, like, it's great. It's clearly a custom pattern that was designed for them, uh, probably by one of their designers. And I just love that. And I was like, I need a custom pattern for one of my courses. So those little, little touches, they're not noticed by everybody, but the people who do see them really appreciate them. And I, I just see that and I'm like, oh, OK, they're it just makes me feel so much better about a company because they clearly paid someone to work on this like custom pattern. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. My, my design style circa web 2.0 was like, just throw a subtle pattern on it and call it a day. And little did I know I was like not doing it well at all. I mean, I wasn't, I was just like, <laughs> here, here's, here's my like template for starting a website. You grab a color, you grab a subtle pattern, and then you just put a white square on top of that and then put a drop shadow on that white square that's your website. <laughs> that, that was my go-to. <laughs> that's awesome. Another uh, fun one that I remember, I don't know if you were, you remember this, but there was this website called Squid Fingers. 
And maybe the the people who have been web developers for like 12 years or something or, or 15 years are are probably being, being like, yes, squid fingers, because like that was the website that you went to to get all of these custom repeating patterns. And you would download this tiny little GIF and then it would repeat over and over. And I, I just searched for it. I don't think that it is any longer a a pattern. Yeah, it's, or our it, website there's anymore. a lot of weird stuff that came up when I searched for squid fingers. There's a, <laughs> a lot of. Uh, questionable images. Oh yeah, you wanna be careful there. Oh, somebody posted the the archive.org link to Squid Fingers, and uh, this was way back when I used Photoshop and you used to use iframes to change the page. That was a long, long time ago. But I was I used to love using Squid Fingers patterns. But uh, what else do I use in terms of patterns? I also am a big fan of texture. So if you go to uh, the upcoming React Advanced React website has like the best little speckled texture inside of it. It's a little bit frustrating to use patterns because they have to be PNG because they need that that sharpness with SVG with SVG textures. They never look the same. They're never they don't have that like really nice speckled look to them. So I'm a big fan of uh, something called True Grit Texture Supply. And uh, they are mostly paid, so you do have to pay for them, but you can download them and you can get these. I think they're usually Photoshop documents and then a couple other, but they have the best little textures, whether it's halftone texture, whether it's a little bit of grunge. I love putting grunge in and everything. Um, and uh, just by adding that to your background patterns or, or something like that, I feel like it just gives a little bit better. That's a bit of a throwback for me, though, because I, I was obviously a hardcore kid when I was growing up and we put grunge on everything. And I, I've never been able to shake the love. Yeah. For grunge. Even the syntax.fm website has a little bit of grunge in the background. I used to put ta- paper texture on a lot of stuff because I thought it like crumpled paper because I thought it just like, yeah, made it, like yeah. a little bit more. Uh, more 3D. What well, like so okay, so in this repeatingness, right? Because these textures have to well they have to repeat at some point, right? Or are you just um, like stretching them to their capacity? Or, or like yeah, how so big is well, this image that you're using? Cuz I haven't used pa- like textures in design in a long time. So what I'm doing in my advanced in the syntax.fm website, the texture is very minimal, so it it actually does repeat. But what I'm doing in the advanced react is that I have two PNG textures and those sit on top of a very subtle gradient that's green to green to lighter green. And then I anchor the two textures. I think they're about 800 pixels high by 500 pixels wide. OK. Um, and I've, yeah. I've really cranked them down in, in so that they'll load fast. But then I anchor them in the top right in the top left hand corner mm-hmm. uh, and then and then they're fixed. So as you scroll, the content will just go over top of them while the I think that the the gradient still scrolls. So it's hard to it's really hard to to repeat a texture because they're obviously not repeating. So in those you need to anchor them off of something or or anchor them and overlay them on top of of something else so it looks like the thing it's casting on is a little bit dirty. Word. Cool. Yeah, it's one of those things that like it was it was the hotness for a while and then the flat design came in and it wasn't the hotness. And then yeah. now that I love this sort of this this uh, this time in web design in general, because what we're seeing is, is that it doesn't really matter. You know, like for a long time, there was these like really hard trends like and I don't I, there's definitely trends right now, but I don't know if there's like hard trends. You're not seeing everyone do one thing. You're seeing a lot of combinations of styles. I mean, you're seeing some like really mainstream stuff use brutalist design in some really cool ways. Uh, if for those of you who don't know, brutalist design is like I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of brutal. <laughs> it's very like hard everything, hard colors, hard edges. It's sort of just very hard. I don't know, just Google brutalist design and you'll see what I, it has. It's, I think it has its origin and architecture, but um, yeah, it, it, there's people are taking different design styles and sort of merging them and to create all sorts of brand new stuff. And there's not like a, you need to do it this way sort of style right now. Yeah. Well, one of the designs that is, is really popular right now is these like very, I don't know if you, what you call it, like smushed or, or wide fonts, you, you know, the new Dropbox. Yeah. Look what's and up feel? with that? Ooh, I don't know yeah. about that. I'm definitely not a fan of it, but I might just be I might come around to it in, in two years and that will be the thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So, who knows? Yeah. There's also <laughs> all over like Instagram and whatever you have, like really heavy shadows, 
curved like i see the same design over and over and over again with just different content for like oh here's a here's a design for a movie app and it's like the exact same as someone's facebook redesign and the exact same as someone's instagram redesign they're all like (laughs) okay so let's get into more tips here uh along with that i guess is the use of gradients and now it took me a little while to really feel comfortable using gradients again after the whole flat design sort of transition and for a long time I used gradients and they weren't very good and then I started using gradients uh, recently on level up the first one I did was in the backdrop for like the login screen and this gradient like goes from a teal to a purple and it's sort of at a weird angle and the fact that it does it at a weird angle like totally changes it to me it it makes it feel like not I don't know just not a not a an extreme gradient I think that was the whole thing with gradients is that before they used to be so extreme and obvious and I think the use of subtlety in gradients is so huge like the the header on leveluptutorials.com or like the whole background color where it goes from light purple to a slightly darker purple that's like a really subtle gradient and and it adds just a little bit of something that wasn't there with the totally flat purple background so I mean I've I personally love these long or wide, big sort of subtle gradient usage. I mean, obviously, if you're going for like a specific look, like a more dramatic gradient can definitely be be super cool as well, too. I'm just looking for this website it used to be called Gradient FI, and it really showed me that you can use multiple gradients at a single time. So if you don't know, uh, the CSS background image property allows you to set as many backgrounds as you could possibly want. That's how I'm able to do those two background patterns on a single element. But a CSS gradient also counts as a background image. So somebody figured out that you can just layer gradients on top of each other and as we talk about these crazy things, you should also be wary of performance because if you're layering a lot of stuff, that has to that takes a lot for the com- your computer to actually paint it to the screen. So obviously be wary of that. But you can use multiple gradients to get like a really nice. The key, I think, is is having it very subtle. But as, as Scott said, if you put them on an angle, if you put a couple overlapping on top of each other, if you have two or three gradients and then and then put a pattern over top of it and it's very, very subtle, it just gives you that mm, this feels good feeling rather than your your standard top to bottom gradient where you go from one color to another harsh color that I think people were, were kind of burned from that after Web 2.0 came around where you had these very these buttons that would would be like super hard gradient. So I don't know what the website is for gradient gradient affi anymore where it let you do multiple. It's it seems to be a spam website now that if I go to it, I had it bookmarked. Uh, another one I really like is mycolor.space forward slash gradient. And that will uh, you can just like generate a random gradient and then choose the different angles and stuff. And it will it'll uh, animate them for you, which is pretty neat. So check out that one. I'll put the link in the show notes. Word. Cool. Another nice thing you can do is use of subtle drop shadows. Notice how a lot of the things that we're saying here is like subtle, subtle use of pattern, subtle use of gradients, subtle use of drop shadows, because if these things become less subtle, they start to overtake. Right. And uh, I I love using drop shadows for a long time. Again, the flat design thing, the drop shadows were out. Right. Nobody wanted to use them. And now uh, I think you'll see you see. Well, you do see shadows all over the place as people play a little bit more with depth. And if you go on level up tutorials, I certainly love to use shadows. I love to like break the barrier between two areas of content by overlaying and using shadows and stuff like that. So uh, I'm a big fan. I use fairly subtle shadows. One of the things that I really like to do is this tip that I noticed from the material design guidelines. This was the in the material design guidelines, they use multiple shadows for all of their elevation levels. And uh, I really like how this this actually produces look where you end up having, let's say, for instance, you have a shadow that's zero on the X, 10 on the Y, 20 on the the blur, and then it's at like 10% opacity of black, right? So then you have this like larger puffier shadow and then you have a more focused one where you have a second shadow just zero six six at ten percent and because those shadows are both at a really transparent percentage they end up working with each other in a way that is is much better than just having one or the other to be honest it looks more real world I use drop shadows and text shadows in all my designs all the time. And like Scott says, subtle is very, 
very important. I think what you see is that people throw it on and then you, it sort of looks like like Microsoft Word, Word art because the, the shadows are very harsh. And one little tip that I have for making sure that they're subtle is don't just use a black shadow or don't try to figure out what it is. Because if you yourself have a shadow on something, what color is your shadow? It's not black. It's just a darker version of whatever it's being cast onto, right? So I like to always use my shadows as just RGBA 000, which is black, uh, and then set the opacity la level to like very, very low, like 0.1 or 0.05 even. Yeah. And that will give you a very, very light shadow over top of it. Um, if you are really concerned about performance, I've never, never myself run into an issue with this, but uh, some people will say, figure out what that color should be. So what you could do is you could set it to this color, use a color picker to actually figure out what that is, and then set it to a hard hex value or RGB color value. But big fan of the uh, the opacity or the alpha channel in RGBA. Yeah, me too. I think our, uh, having a very transparent shadow is one of the nicest ways to do a little shadow there. I think it's essential. Along the same lines of that, putting black and white on top of of colored buttons is almost always a bad idea. They can look good, but usually they can be they be a little bit hard to read. So if you have like a red button and you want to put some white text on top of it, a little trick you can do is you can either make the text a little bit see through so that it changes to like a red or you can figure out what that red will be. Or you can put a very subtle drop shadow on the text one pixel down, one pixel to the right and and make it a little bit see through. And then that will allow the text to just just pop off that a little bit and it will make it so much more readable. Um, you could also use the back, I think maybe six or seven years ago, it was really popular to do it, uh, a drop shadow that was negative one pixel to the left and negative one pixel to the top. And that made the text looks like it was like stamped or yeah, inset like impressed, into it. Yeah, I, I use that yeah. constantly. I was all about that. I was I, I use that on every single button because you wanted that was during the um, what was the word for that word? Signs felt like real things. Skeuomorphic. Skeuomorphic design. That was back when everything like all the app icons were these like very like Steve Jobs called it lickable design. That all went away as soon as flat design came came around. And, and that seems to have been sticking around for a while. And I'm very happy about that. But I still definitely do use the the drop shadow even on websites where I'm, I'm keeping most things flat. Uh, just because it aids in, in the readability of your buttons. One other tip I have is you can also inset a box shadow. So if you have a div and you have a shadow on it, you can you can set a second shadow that is an inset. And that will sometimes be uh, if you need to clearly differentiate an item from its background. Uh, sometimes that is a good thing. A lot of people don't know that there's a the, you just pop the keyword inset before your box shadow and then it will grow from the inside of the element rather from the outside out. Yeah, I like inside shadows. I use them quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I love me some shadows. And one of our sponsors today actually has some really nice little shadows on their website. Sanity, sanity.io. I'll, I'll actually, we mentioned this earlier that their their website was really nice looking. They have like, it's sort of this whole, it's pretty flat going on. But then anytime they're using a device, they're using a shadow to rest on top of the design. I, I like that. It's like pretty much like one specific thing to feel like it, like sort of tangible sitting on top of it. So our, our sponsor today is Sanity at Sanity.io. And we mentioned it's a bring your own front end headless CMS structured content done right. Uh, this thing is super cool. Wes, do you want to tell us uh, a little bit more about Sanity and maybe what they put together for us to, to experience Sanity? Yeah. So every time we have a new sponsor, uh, we spend a, try to spend a little bit of time trying to like fully understand what is the product and how can we best explain it. And uh, what they did is they actually went out and made us an entire. They have this thing called Sanity Studio, which is is sort of the backend CMS for your content. Uh, and they made us a syntax backend that really just showed us what it, it does. So we, we they sent us a link and we signed up and we logged in. They wrote a little crawler that apparently you can write yourself as well that will automatically import all of the data into it via something. And they, they wrote a uh, RSS podcast to Sanity converter and then they scrubbed every the whole RSS feed for our podcast and dumped it 
in there, which is really, really cool. And then we just log in and we see we have all of these like content types. We have uh, episodes, we have hosts, Scott and I, we've got sponsors, and then we have podcasts, right? Those are your, if you're trying to think about like, okay, I'm building a database for an application. What are the content types that I would have? And uh, inside of that, <laughs> they made obviously the syntax podcast, but they also These have the listened best. to the show and, <laughs> and the made uh, Code Time with Wes and Scott. And that was one of the failed names for our podcast. And Blockscope, a podcast hoisted by Wes and Scott, which I was, <laughs> I really appreciated it. And they made, love it. It. They made art for it and uh, put all the, the sponsors in here. So the idea is, is that you have this back end that's all built in in react you can make all of your content types inside of there and then one really cool thing about it is that you can take some of your react components and customize how the back end works because obviously you're going to have your standard input types right you're going to have text inputs you're going to have relational data type if you have an episode that will that will be related to an actual mp3 file and then you'll have uh, hosts that are associated with that specific episode and and so on and you have published date and, and things like that, which is pretty cool. But then what they did is they took the podcast player from the syntax.fm website, which is built in React, and they just dragged and dropped or or popped it from our own GitHub repo and just dropped it right, directly right into this. And I'm able to see what it looks like in the back end uh, with that specific React component, which is a testament to building Componentized, componentized things in the long run anyways. So they built it, they built this whole back end that you can upload images, you can have all of your different settings that come in, all of the different um, sponsors that we have, the show notes, everything that we have there. And then once you once you have the CMS that has all of your content in it, then you can build your, your front end, however it is that you'd, you'd like to do it. So uh, what they did is they actually went out and built React website. They, they took the syntax.fm website um, and then just piped in the data from their backend into the, the syntax website, which I thought was pretty cool. They have this query language called, what is it called again, Scott? It's called Grok. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Grok, G-R-O-Q, Grok. Yes. And uh, that language allows you it's it's apparently it sits on top of GraphQL, but then adds the additional like the, the downside of GraphQL is that it's actually not a not a query language, right? Like there's no filtering, there's no sorting, there's no the, all of the stuff you're used to doing in like a, a MySQL or MongoDB database. None of that is in GraphQL unless you go out and do it yourself, unless you implement those those things yourself. So this sits on top of that and allows you to, to write these really flexible queries against your data and, and pull in all of that data. So pretty, pretty nifty. I find it funny that we we locked in this sponsor like three months ago and like two weeks ago or a week ago, I was just talking about how there's no real good like back end data management services for for Node and for us JavaScript developers. And I was very um, jealous of some of the Laravel stuff that was being put out. And then a couple of days ago, I started looking into this because as I had to talk about it as a sponsor. And I was like, oh, this is what I was talking about <laughs> Yeah, it's, a while ago. It's beautiful, too. I mean, they do a great job with the little things. And uh, we mentioned, you know, this is a, a nice looking website, but it's uh, yeah, the service is just really super cool. I, I think it, it, it's done right. Yeah, it's done very right. Cool. So check it out at Sanity, S-A-N-I-T-Y dot I-O uh, and sign on up. I'm really excited to have them on as a sponsor and I'm really excited to uh, I've obviously tried this out myself because they've they sent us over the syntax, but I'm going to going to give it a shot and build something myself in it. Yeah, super cool. So thank you so much for Sanity for sponsoring. Everyone give that a checkout. Really cool. <laughs> Well, next is a tip that you've probably heard us mention before on this show. And it's a tip that it, it definitely is a, it's an easy one to do. And it's pretty much not using the harshest color values. For instance, zero, zero, zero for black, right? Because in real life, if something's printed or whatever, you're almost not always looking at a true, true black because, well, there's other factors involved. So on the screen, true black isn't always the best option. In fact, it's rarely the best option. And if you're using true black, it might be more of a like a brutalist or an intentionally like harsh thing, right? So I personally end up using like even if it's a one 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 or a two 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 or a three three three, I usually just end up using a few shades lighter of a black, a dark, dark, dark gray instead of a black, and it almost always looks much better. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this as well. I, I forget where I initially learned this tips, but I think it was the New York Times or something like that. Like go to any any major website 
Let's go to New York Times and see what color black they're using for their text. They're using pound 333, which is just a standard black color. You probably wouldn't be able to tell it just by looking at it, but uh, it makes readability so much easier. So usually what I'll do is I'll just set something to black black and then I'll just bump it off just a little bit. Um, and I find that makes readability a little bit nicer. It's not so harsh as as just regular black is. Uh, so big fan of that tip. It's just like one of those usually or usually what I'll do is for my entire project, I'll set a variable called black in my CSS grid course. We do this and I'll just have a variable called black globally and then I'll just set anytime I need to use black. I just use that variable. And that way I'm not accidentally using pound zero 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 and it puts you in good shape. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things about stylus was the transparent variables. Some people might not like this, but in stylus, you are able to define variables as just a word. So you could overwrite CSS color values. Yes, I so love that. So you could that. just have black equals three, three, three or whatever. And then just like you would author your normal CSS instead of having to do dollar sign black or, you know, var or hyphen hyphen var hyphen hyphen black or whatever you do with CSS custom properties. You just use black. I, I love that. Our, our sponsor, Sanity, uses 1D, 1D, 1D. Another good choice there, you can see. But yeah, Beautiful. yeah, absolutely. Well, I love, it's a nice little easy thing. I find that almost all of the built-in colors, except for pale goldenrod, yellow, and a couple <laughs> of my other favorites, all, almost all of the like default red, green, blue, black, all of those are brutal, brutal. and uh, don't, look, don't look super good. Except for like Bloomberg. You remember Bloomberg? came out with just using like basic blue yeah and oh, it, I, I think they dropped it did they somebody i guess they kind of have it still here somebody did a, a redesign recently that is pretty brutalist is it bloomberg it might be bloomberg it's like definitely like it's it's not totally brutalist but it's like inspired by and it definitely had it might be bloomberg here it looks like they definitely toned it down a little bit yeah i wonder if they if you search for bloomberg blue you'll see what i'm talking about but i'm on the bloomberg website and i don't know if it's i'm not able to see it anywhere yeah anywhere on the actual bloomberg website oh. no maybe they they took it off yeah mm. interesting i see a little bit of it in some of their graphs income graphs cash flow graphs at the bottom but that's it they, they used it a lot and they were they were really holding to it and everyone's like that, that looks like garbage but <laughs> almost any any time somebody somebody challenges and and comes out with new design when dropbox comes out with new design whenever anybody comes out with a new logo uber airbnb everyone says it looks like garbage so i usually disregard that and sort of just sit on it for a bit but i truly did believe that that blue was was hard to look at and meanwhile i actually really liked it but it might just be because i i subscribe to a bunch of brutalist uh ux blogs so i'm used to seeing much worse but yeah i, I that's that's definitely a, a thing i i definitely if I, if I ever want to do something sort of shocking in my like like if i want to use a color to debug something i'm always using red blue or green with no additional things but uh, you know obviously don't leave them in um the last one we have here is that the default browser ui is almost never the best ui and this one's particularly important because well styling those things are never typically very much fun anyways like styling selects radio buttons uh sliders it's not very much fun because it's a lot of little things it's a pain there's a lot of gotchas but it is important. And uh, honestly, if it's if it's too much of a pain to change them and you don't have the time, I mean, you can always look into libraries to do that for you. I, like, for instance, I use almost always a switch, like a, a toggle component that somebody made that looks like the material design toggle. I almost always yeah. use a React component for that instead of doing the design myself because I just don't want to deal with it. You know, it's just a pain. Totally. I, I while we say this, we should also say that the default radio selects, those are are usually not the best inputs, but they are usually the most accessible and most mobile friendly inputs. We've actually got a show on accessibility coming up. So sometimes you see people just create something with a div and then it's totally inaccessible, but it yeah, looks really no good. Thanks. And that sort of that balance between the two is, is really, really important. So what I like to usually do is for checkboxes and radio buttons and stuff like that. And if you go on syntax.fm and check out the loudness, how you how you change the volume on our player. That's actually just a whole bunch of radio buttons that are are bound to the, the volume property on the, uh, the audio element. But so you can always hide those and, and use a label. And if you have a 
ID or a four on the label and an ID on the input or no, that's wrong. If you have an ID on the label and a name on the radio and those will be locked together. And if you click on the label, then the ID will be selected. And if that's the case, then you can always hide the actual input itself um, and then just rely on the label. And then if you put them beside each other, meaning that if you have the input first and the label second, you can always use the checked CSS selector yeah, yeah. saying and to just to, to specifically color them add css to when they're in the selected state and when they're in the not selected state so it's a little bit of trickery sometimes it's better just to use a little bit of javascript and toggle aria attributes instead but i, I have found that fairly useful in my cases just to get rid of the default ui but still keep it and it makes it easier as a javascript developer too under the hood because if you can keep the keep it as standard form inputs that's really good for a JavaScript developer, but it's not good for how how it looks, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's one of those things that, again, the default ones, they look ugly, but they are the yeah. best option. So styling those. Also, they also tend to sometimes have, uh, you know, certain interactions with mobile already worked out for you and stuff like that. You don't have to deal with, you know, how the device handles those inputs, like select lists and things like that. Cool. So let's get into a little bit more of maybe animation and user experience sort of stuff, stuff that happens when you like click things and move around. I'm a big fan of animation. I wrote a course on animation. Uh, I do a lot of animation stuff. In fact, the latest update for Level Up has a really nice little animation on the pro page. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, head to leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro and and see this little animation happen. I'm a big fan of this kind of stuff, page transitions and and things like that. So uh, hopefully here's some little tips here to add some life to your animations. Like one, don't use animations where they're like unnecessary. I mean, and if you do, make sure they're fast, right? Because... If you lived through the Flash era of websites, you'll remember the websites that were just <laughs> overly animated to to all heck because like that that was like the cool thing about Flash is that it animated. But now we can do the cool stuff like that in CSS and JavaScript. So, well, I personally love to use uh, animations for transitions and to load and stuff like that. But it really is to to take away the shock of just like content flashing on the screen more than anything or to add some sort of emphasis right on a hover. Maybe give it a nice little scale or something like that. And that's one of those properties I, I do feel like is is occasionally underutilized is maybe even like subtle scales. Like we've, we've talked a lot about subtle anything. But um, if you hover over something, I have both subtle and non-subtle scaling on level up. So on the GoPro page, if you hover over one of the cards, there's a non-subtle scaling. It scales like 1.1 times. It has a little bounce ease and stuff like that. Meanwhile, there's other little more subtle scaling that goes on uh, if you hover over things. So I, I personally love to use animation to give emphasis, to give awareness, and to give interest to certain elements. How about you? Yeah, I use it quite a bit in instead of doing like a, a hover or focus color change, a nice little scale, a nice little tilt. If you go on my learn node website, all of the buttons have a before before pseudo element on it. And it's like just a, like kind of like a, a little card shuffle effect on it. And then when you hover over top of it, that that the background card just shuffles just a little bit just to let you know that, OK, this does something when you when you hover it, it shows you that the, something will happen. So a big fan of again, it's funny how the we just keep saying this word subtle over and over again because they can definitely be really, really abused. And it's it's hard to hold back on on some of these as well, because they sometimes they look so cool. And, and I'm I'll be the first to admit that I will always flex the <laughs> CSS a little bit more than it should, because I like to have fun with it. Uh, and my websites fun. are targeted at yeah my yeah. websites are targeted at developers and I often will have people like spend hours just digging into the little little things here and there on my learnnode.com website I I use this thing called particles.js which gives you this really cool like sciency background where the particles are attached to each other and they grow and they move and I was so excited about it and then I launched the course and of course, I didn't try it on a laptop that cost less than three thousand dollars. Oh, <laughs> yeah. People are like, "My, you're using like a hundred? Are you mining Bitcoin? Like, what is causing the CPU to be like?" Phew! 
Uh, and it was because I was running this particles and it was just repainting like 60 frames a second and it was just too much. So I had to I had to the, the particles is still on there. If you refresh the page a few times, you'll you'll notice that the particles are random every single time. But I, I don't repaint it anymore, which is which was sad for me to take it off because people really enjoyed it. And obviously it adds nothing to the usability of the website, but it it added just that special extra little bit of hmm, this is kind of a, a fun website that that Wes has built here. I wonder how he did that. Yeah, I know it, it is. It, it adds a little bit of delight. In fact, I was on this website, bearseers.patagonia.com. And I'm sorry for bringing up Patagonia, Wes. I know you have a little bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> a little spat, not necessarily a spat. But either way, they had no. this, this beautiful thing on the site. If you click this little skip button, get past there their video and you hover any over any of these images there's this really cool like little dip in the the text is sort of sitting on a different plane and it's a beautiful animation and i saw that and it was like super inspired to create this this uh hover effect that i use for my cards where when you hover over any of my tutorial cards it sort of dips in and it uses the z axis to do like a, a 3d rotate and sort of like pull itself in and i think those are things that are maybe a little underutilized right uh, in general, the usage of like the principles of animation, right? Uh, this anticipation, the response, how things actually feel Ooh. in real space. I, I think that sort of stuff is under underutilized. So having more of this real world feel to your animations is a is a big deal, in my opinion. Yeah. So this is I was trying to type it in. It's not bear seers like I see them. It's like bear seers. Like oh yeah, a bear sorry. has to go buy a a vacuum and At a seers. suit for Sunday. Yeah dot patagonia.com yeah. <laughs> yeah sears the store i'm sorry uh, and for yeah. millennials who might not or younger listeners who might not have ever been into a sears uh, that was, i don't know if they're still around to be did honest they, did sears close down in the states i don't know i don't just i don't even remember they the last bankrupt time in canada i saw a sears was uh they still oh, have a website they, so they exist they they went bankrupt in canada about a year ago and their last ditch effort in order to like save the company was they came out with this advertising campaign called WTS. What oh. the Sears? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now anyone locally, whenever there's like, whenever something confuses you, you're like, what the Sears is going on here? <laughs> Dude, they should, you know, they should have come out with Sears coin. Maybe that would have helped in there a little, a little Sears coin, <laughs> a little crypto there. Um, one last oh, thing man. I wanted to touch on this before we get into our next sponsor break is CSS transitions versus physics-based. And this is like something I think this conversation started a little bit more once the uh, sort of heavier JavaScript-based animation library started coming out, React Motion, some more physics-based stuff in, in JavaScript, right? Because in CSS, the way you do animations typically so you have a starting state and an ending state, and then you have a transition, right? And that tra transition defines the duration of the animation. It defines the easing curve. So it, it's sort of what gives the animation character, right? The, the points at which the values change over time is the easing curve. And then it also defines what properties are changing, right? So it's a CSS-based transition. Or even an animation is the same sort of thing. You define different states or different points in this thing, and you, you, you ease between those. And there's a whole other type of animation out there, which is popularized mostly by React Motion, but I think really just really done well with something like React Spring. Uh, and you see it all over like actual mobile iOS and, and Android based uh, libraries use mostly physics based animation. But instead of having a duration and an easing curve, you use things like friction and tension to decide the animation. And that's like sort of what gives this thing life, right? So if you like pull on something and let it go and you watch that, that how, how it behaves, this property in space, well, it makes it feel a little bit more real. And to be honest, I think 90% of the animations I've written in the past year now have been physics-based. I'm using React Spring for most everything, but I've been going way hard on, on physics-based animation, and it was a huge paradigm shift for me because I'm used to writing before I did animations in After Effects, and I'm used to keyframing animations, and I'm used to easing curves mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But this whole physics-based animation stuff has been just totally eye-opening for me, and I absolutely love it. Uh, you don't have to worry about the easing curves and the durations and stuff like that. You just give these things property and let them live and they feel very real also i'm just just still in this patagonia bear sears website it's cool and it's unreal it's built in angular one and jquery and i love that because it just shows you that like 
it's not built in the latest tech, but it's amazing. It's on, it's an unreal experience. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Awesome. So can you transition us from bear Sears to M lab to bear Sears? Oh, that's a tough one. Shoot. <laughs> that is maybe. Yeah. You know what? Also besides Sears, you know what also bears like databases, <laughs> Mongo DBs, <laughs> You know what also bears like instead of Sears? They also like hosted databases for you. (laughs) So our sponsor today is MLab. And I've talked about them a couple times on the show before. But if you've never heard, MLab is a hosted version of your MongoDB for you. And uh, so they do all of the hosting for you. They do all of the querying. Uh, they do all of the scaling up, up for you. They have a free 500 meg database for you if you just want to try it out. I've talked about the the slow query analyzer. So if you're doing like terrible queries and you don't know it every week, they'll send you a nice little email that tells you what's wrong and, and how you could possibly fix it. They have a database GUI. So I talked about all those things in the past um, and a couple more kind of like advanced features if you uh, are already in MongoDB if you're looking to maybe move your database over from self-hosted to having someone else worry about all of these problems is that they have a very popular Heroku add-on, which makes it easy to deploy a MongoDB right from Heroku, which is really cool. So you don't even have to think about going outside of Heroku for that. They have a telemetry tool, which gives you real-time and historical data about your, your database. So things like number of connections, number of operations, index efficiency, CPU usage, which is really cool. So it gives you like this nice insight into like how your database is doing because often you find out that your database is not doing well too late (laughs) and the whole thing falls over or uh, it crashes or you lose a bunch of data and you didn't have proper backups and and stuff like that. And they also, some of their higher end plans um, have a 24 seven emergency support, which will uh, give you a response within minutes, which is amazing. I talked about uh, how I goofed up my, uh, my uh, Mongo mongoose, uh, driver or my MongoDB driver a couple of times ago and, and they figured it out for me. It wasn't their problem. It was my problem. I goofed it up, but they were able to, to really help me because they know MongoDB cold. So check it out at mlab.com and uh, sign up for a, a free, if you just want to try it out, you, your next little uh, pet project, you just want to try it out. They have a totally free option, no credit card required. Nice. Thanks so much to MLab for sponsoring. Yeah. I use MLab because I don't want to have to deal with backups. I don't want to have to deal with security. I don't want to, have to deal with any of that stuff. Uh, and so yeah. I, I'm so happy to have them as a, both a, uh, a service that I use and as a sponsor for this podcast. So thank you so much for MLab for sponsoring. So uh, lastly, I, I guess we wanted to touch a little bit on how to get better at design. And um, this is one of those things that's like, well, uh, y- it takes a little while and it takes time and it takes effort to get better at design. If you want to be a full on designer, it's not going to come easy and it's not good it's going to be as difficult as becoming a developer or anything else right for that matter you yeah you, you need to put the time in and you need to put the focused effort in to get better but that said there's a lot of little things you can do here or there uh to increase your your learning as you go for this so one of the things i like to do is just put good design in front of me a lot so i you know if you use the social medias or anything like that just follow a bunch of UI themed Instagram accounts. Now, some of them are just going to post some generic stuff over and over again that might get sort of bland over time, but you're going to be experienced design that looks nice and is designed well either way. So you start to have an eye for what good spacing and good colors and good contrast and stuff looks like. So it's definitely a, a good thing. And you can always browse sites like uh, Dribble or I use Site Inspire. I get their emails. Uh, so I always check out some of the latest stuff on Site Inspire. Yeah. What, what kind of what are your favorite places to look for design inspiration? Yeah, I used to be super into these like CSS galleries where people would have websites and I forget what they all were, but that was that used to be the way that you could get a ton of traffic to your website is you would submit your own website to these CSS galleries and then they would feature you. Um, I remember one was called CSS Next mm. specifically that I, I really liked um, th- that that is now a, uh, <laughs> a, a preprocessor um syntax so don't don't go to that anymore but i what i do now is i like to just cruise dribble i like to cruise uh sites specifically stripe has some of the most unreal design 
out there. The Stripe is always on the cutting edge of, of just pushing the limits and making like such enjoyable design, but also like beautiful looking, which I think is two things that are hard to, to get right. Absolutely. Um, and then I my biggest tip to people, and, and this is really how I learned, is that go on somewhere, go on Dribble, go on Theme Forest and either get a website design or download one or something like that. That is a Photoshop file. That is a sketch file. That is a Figma file and implement that one to one. Don't take someone else's website. Like this is something we did in the boot camp where you, we made people take a flat Photoshop file and convert it into a website that was pixel perfect. And it's it's amazing because it really makes you focus on Things like padding and spacing and colors and and fonts and line heights. And those are little things that you might not necessarily notice until you overlay the old, the design on top of yours and go, oh, man, my my spacing was way off on this. And when I change it, I, I see how that makes it, it feel better. And I, I see the difference between that, because just by by forcing yourself into those little itty bitty uh, corners, you're going to start to figure out. Oh, these are these are the common tricks that people are using to, to make a nice design and don't take an existing website, because what I found is we used to tell people like try to re-implement the eBay header or try to re-implement the Stripe nav or something like that. And then people would just immediately start right clicking inspect element and, and trying to figure out like what code did they write? And, and that's that's not what the, the code that you write should be the last thing you're thinking about. You, you should be thinking about, OK, what how is this aligned? Uh, what, what are the different colors that they've used here? What are the what's the different um, padding and, and fonts and stuff like that? And then how do I implement it should be the last thing that, that you're looking at. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I agree with this. And it's amazing how many after working at agencies with a, a lot of de- developers who maybe aren't like they don't have that eye for pixel perfect design. It would always be amazing to me when people would submit work and they would be like, all right, it's done. And then you'd look at it and you'd be like, this is not done. Like there are some several things that are not the same as the design here. Like did we had an intern one time who submitted something and he was so like confident with it. And we had to, I I felt bad because we had to break him down a little bit, not like uh, aggressively (laughs) or something, but we had to be like, listen, like this is this, does this look the same to you? It does not look the same at all. Yeah. So that's like a big thing is that being able to really identify those things. But again, you know, the web is changing and we're not necessarily dealing with pixels as much anymore, but being able to yeah. interpret what that pixel perfect design should look like across design or uh, screen sizes is, is a big deal. And, uh, and also I, I do want to mention that like, you know, you're talking about learning design and implementation not mattering. And then I agree with that. But don't be afraid to check out implementation when you're on something and you see it is really cool. For instance, that Bear Sears site, I saw that and I was like, how did they implement this? Because I I know how I could have done it, but I wanted to see yeah. how they did it, too. And I wanted to see, like, did it line up with how I expected to do it? And maybe that's that's a good idea is to maybe don't just go in there to it's like peeking at the answer to a test. Right. Don't go peek at the answer and see how they did it first, but maybe come up with your own implementation and figure out how you would do it. Then look at how they would do it. And then maybe use some of that, you know, that thinking to think, is their version better than mine? For what reasons? Or is my version better than theirs? For what reasons? So it's definitely, a, you know, implementation is something to think about, but maybe not from a learning how to design standpoint necessarily. Right. Totally. My last tip is something I'd already said, but follow Steve Shoger. I just love him because he's Canadian, <laughs> but <laughs> also that his stuff is just so he does these little tips where he'll come up with a UI and and say, OK, here is a UI where there's a couple problems and here are some actual ways that we could fix that. And then he shows the the improved UI. Uh, and and then he just says, OK, this is what I changed about it. And they're really like polished. Obviously, he spends probably a couple hours on on each of these tips and they're very uh, digestible. So he has a moment on Twitter. So if you just go to twitter.com forward slash Steve, S-T-E-V-E-S-C-H-O-G-E-R, and then click on moments. And then he has a, a moment called design tips. I'll also link directly to the moment in the in the chat or in the show notes as well. Um, and then they're all the design tips that that he's put together. I think they're they're really good little things that you might not necessarily think about yourself, how to handle avatars, how to handle data that has different importance. Like if you have, 
He has this one called Think Up Outside the Database. Like, don't just create a table and dump all of the data into a real estate listing. There's stuff that people care more about, specifically number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, type of house, and the price of the house, right? Those are the probably the, the things, and those things should be easily digestible. And if one of those catches your eye, then you can you can go a little bit further and dig for, for the additional info that you need. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, my last little tip here would be take time to challenge yourself creatively and technically. And I'm not talking about in client work, and I'm not talking about things that matter, take time to just make some cool stuff. And I'm not talking about, again, cool for everyone. This doesn't have to be bloggable or whatever. I'm talking about cool for you. I one time made a really dumb gradient wave thing. It was just like 20 gradients stacked on top of each other and they were animating position and all sorts of stuff. And it, for, for the most part, was technically simple and it was dumb and it's not anything I was going to share but it was fun to make and it was fun to look at. And it was just a, a nice little experiment to, to say, hey, I haven't done this kind of thing before. Let me just uh, do something fun with that. So again, take these sort of time in your life uh, to to just to experiment and to allow yourself to experiment both visually, animation wise, UX wise, and just go for it. Just try some stuff. I don't have anything to add to that. I think that that's perfect spending time on it. I often get frustrated at how long design takes because I'm very efficient with everything else that I do. And I always had to tell myself, like, you just need to sit here the entire day and, and work on it and have fun with this and not feel that pressure to, to wrap this thing up. And that's very different than than when I'm actually approaching something from coding. So it's a important little shift that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So uh, I think we need to call the doctor because it's time for some sick picks. <laughs> I think that needs to be the, the transition from now and forever. Uh, we need some sort of like, <laughs> call oh, the that's doctor. what we need. We need to get a fiver to get like a little audio sample in there. A yeah. Bit of like, somebody call a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so call a doctor. Oh, man. All right. My sick pick today is a Spotify playlist. I've mentioned in the past that I'm super into hardcore music, and I know that a lot of our, our listeners are as well. If, if you're not into screaming music, then then skip ahead 30 seconds. But where I find a lot of my new music recommendations and, and old re- ones that I might have forgotten about is a, a Reddit called Post Hardcore. And somebody just built, I think just in the last week or two, they built a bot that anytime something makes it to the front page of our Post Hardcore on Reddit, then it automatically adds that song to a Spotify playlist, which has was been my dream for a long time. So check it out. I've, I've put the link to the Spotify playlist in the show notes, and I'm just so happy to, to have a nice little Spotify playlist where I know that like this is the type of music that I love. So I know that everything in here is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I've seen so many of these bands in concert, actually. This is really yeah. I'm just scrolling <laughs> through the list. It's like Glassjaw and oh yeah, Glassjaw. Glassjaw had Thursday some of the best design and Finch and Sparta. Yeah, Glassjaw. They had that one album that was pretty good, and then he did Head Automatica, which had one album with Dan the Automator that was really good, and then they did another album without Dan the Automator, and it really sucked. So I always liked is Darren Darren Palumbo or something like that. I always really liked him. They definitely had that that one album that was really super good. Yeah, this is taking me back. Chodos, Chodos. Oh man, dude, they're from. Oh, I watch. They're from Michigan. Chodos, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had that. I actually listened, watched a, a YouTube video with Chodos, and what was that? What was that song that? I really like that good. one album. Yeah, mm. I just love any any music like that. I just paused it and I found that one song that I love. It's Chodos, the world, the words best friend become redefined, and it has that like. Here, let me play a little bit of it right here. I don't know if this is allowed, but. That was like the breakdown of my childhood right there. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that at shows when they they would play that and everyone would just lose it at that part. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I knew I knew people that went to high school with those guys. That's funny. Really? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they're they're one of my favorite bands still. 
So since you did a, a music sick pick, I'm going to do a music sick pick too. And this one's going to be a very different, a very different uh, genre <laughs> of music. Uh, this is one of my favorite albums. That, well, I've been wa- I've been waiting and waiting for this album to come out. Uh, this guy, Lewis Cole, he is one half of the band Nowhere. And uh, he, let me tell you, this guy rips on the drums. He is awesome. He's also like a brilliant pianist, a brilliant musician overall. And I don't know how to describe this genre of music. It's weird. It's just weird. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, like Wolf Pecky in that sort of way where it, they, they take a lot of sort of like, you know, they take a lot of classic era, you know, funk and soul sounds, but it's also very electronic. It's very funky. It's got some incredible drumming and it doesn't take itself seriously at all. He, I mean, this guy, <laughs> this guy released a series of, of videos on YouTube before this came out with songs like Bank Account, where the lyric is just, I don't want to check my bank account. I'm too scared to check my bank account. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really good. He's He's got a great sense of humor, but the, the album is incredible. The musicianship is incredible. And you're going to hear some of the most insane, brilliant, off-key piano solos on this thing in the entire world. So uh, this album, Time by Lewis Cole, came out last Friday or a couple Fridays ago when time you're listening to this. And I love this album. So put it on, check it out. It, it could be your new favorite weird album. Awesome. I'm going to check that out as well. Love some weird music every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any shameless plugs? Yeah. I have a new course on React testing. And this course is going to be out by the end of this month. And it's going to be testing React components. And this is course is aimed at people who are not good at testing or have never done testing or testing scares them and makes them want to run away and hide. So we define all of the jargony terms. We go through all of the difficult stuff and we test our React components using Ken C. Dodd's amazing React testing library. Honestly, I think it is game changing and uh uh, it, it uses basically it, it demystifies testing in React entirely. It's going to be on Level Up Pro. It's going to be available for purchase. It's going to be out by the end of August. And if you subscribe for a year at Level Up Pro, you get access to that course along with Level 2 React, Level 1 Electron, Apollo React, Vue.js, Pro Gatsby, Headless WordPress, and a ton of other premium tutorial content series and new ones coming every single month. Wicked. I am going to just plug all of my courses at westboss.com forward slash courses. You can check it out. I have all my free and all of my paid courses listed out there and uh, probably find something that interests you. Other than that, I think we're good for today and we'll see you next week. Cool. Peace. Peace. Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.